Welcome everybody to the Startup Blender, the podcast about startup life and some other stuff. <laughs> All right, let's start. Uh, my name is Ucha. I'm here with my great co-host Hardik and Yo. our great, great guest Puya from... Where are you from? I'm from Morocco, yeah. That's great. <laughs> All right, tell us about yourself. Who are you? What you do? Oh, Hi, I'm Buya, founder, CEO of Visa Chan. Did you know? Wait, I was about to pitch. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you're not with the investors right now. You're on the podcast. This is a startup blender. Perfect, perfect. <laughs> if you don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, more seriously, though, is uh, I'm someone who believes in the power of education and financial inclusion to improve someone's lives. Mm -hmm. I know it might sound cliche, but uh, yeah, I spent my life in the education and fintech uh, fields, so that's where I come from. And IsaChamp is actually a way to connect that background. So it's something I call even edu-fintech, if you would say. Well, that's great. Yeah. And how long have you been in Estonia? I came to Estonia around two years ago. Yeah, like two years and a few months. And how did you move to Estonia? Uh, it happened actually in a very funny way. So funny I, day. Well, funny in the sense that coming here was not easy. So I came here because of TransferWise, but uh, we don't have any embassy in Morocco. Mm -hmm. So I had to go and find like the honorary embassy there. And I remember when I asked them what's the process to get here, they told me the best like process is to go to Lisbon oh. in Portugal. If I go there, I have Schengen visa. I can already come to Estonia. <laughs> 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 and then did you reply? Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, of course. I was like, okay, sure. <laughs> Someone is getting promotion soon. So. <laughs> yeah, but actually I wrote them an email and that tells you already about the digital aspect of uh, Estonia because they responded quite mm -hmm. fast. And uh, the recommendation was to go to France. And get like a visa from there on behalf which is of still Schengen. A Schengen. <laughs> which is still a Schengen. But what I end up doing is like so France, if you know anything about Morocco, it has been colonized by France. So a lot of people are going and applying. So both France and Spain was like having big uh, lines, queues, and like I had to come here. So I ended up going to uh, Poland, mm -hmm. the Polish embassy there. I applied for 21 days. Uh, tourist visa and they gave me 11 days <laughs> so <laughs> so when i went there i immediately Wait, at that time did you have a job in transferwise already or so i had the contract so because of this problem i had the contract already in 2017 november but i only started working with them in may 2018 and all was because of this uh, like yeah figuring out how to get here <laughs> and um, yeah i went uh, so first time the polish embassy rejected the application but not a full like a firm rejection they just asked for more documents but without them they wouldn't even consider the application i gave them that and then i managed to come here the moment i landed here it was a holiday so i can't even go to the police and apply and i was like okay maybe i'm screwed and i remember i applied on thursday and uh, my flight the return flight was on saturday so of course i missed that one but on thursday they asked me to write now proper motivation letter why I'm applying late usually it takes at least 10 working days so why all of this so I had to mention 
all the story why we, I didn't find an embassy in Morocco. <laughs> I applied to Poland. From November to May. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's cool. But why did you decide to come to Estonia? So maybe then the background. I came here because of TransferWise in the sense that I applied for a job. But if your question is why TransferWise in the first place, is uh, I was in Mauritius studying at the African Leadership University and I was on a full scholarship there. And like all the other students were on a full scholarship because we were all in the inaugural class. And uh, while there, some of my like schoolmates couldn't even afford basic toiletries. Because the, like, the scholarship covered tuition, covered food, covered housing covered flights, but there was no stipend. And we were all internationals to the island, so we can't also work as a student. Like They had like uh, laws against that. So I started a bank on campus, and I started offering like uh, loans without any interest to students. Interesting, so we, man. Yeah, we call them, awesome. yeah, we called them social loans. So we were like... Uh, so how many people along with you decided that we should have a bank or, or did you go to people? Do you agree? Would you uh, get the service from us? So the way I did it was that we were three people, so what I like, I noticed this problem, and I started talking with like a friend of mine, and he told me he's working on something similar. He was literally considering the same thing, and um, we were lucky because because the fact that we were all international, there were, there were these minor incidents where like someone is cleaning the room or this, like someone might miss some dollars. So the way we pitched it is that, hey, we have safes. So I had two safes, and two of my friends each had a safe. So he said, like, we save your money, mm -hmm. like, uh, you don't have to pay us anything for free. So we collected that money first. And then we said, okay, now we have loans without interest, but you can withdraw your money anytime. So the way we sustained the bank was that we would exchange currency for the student. Again, we are all internationals and, like, exchange offices, either they close at night or, like, on the weekends. So we came with a pricing where we had, like, a margin that's lower than the banks, but higher than the exchange offices. Okay. And that actually made a good deal for us. And yeah, people would come and ask us for loans. We had, we were all plugged in the same ecosystem, like uh, mailing, uh, yeah, the G Suite. So we could actually create Excel sheets for everyone as like their account. And then if they want to transfer to someone, we just change the digits. So you have like the edit rights and they have the view rights. And like we played with this experiment. Then at some point we had people approaching us asking us for more commercial loans, like uh, bigger amounts, like someone saying, I want to buy a laptop, I want to buy the last iPhone. Uh -huh. And then we decided to introduce like an interest for those type of loans. Yeah, so we started offering those commercial loans with the interest rate, but at the same time we started analyzing why they were asking for them. And it turned out that most countries in Africa can't send money abroad. So yes, their families were in a better place, so they can afford buying iPhones and this but they, their families can't send them money. And this was also my case. Like in Morocco, you can't send money abroad. Like they maybe changed it recently, but the change made like... Not even to other African countries? Worse. <laughs> you could probably send it to non-African countries, but not to other <laughs> African countries. And the reasoning for that is like, you know, they are developing countries, so they need to trade internationally. And if I'm Morocco and I want to buy something from Estonia, I need to pay them in euros. But mm -hmm. if you know anything about Morocco, we don't print euros. Yeah. So the only way to keep euros in the country is like uh, asking maybe the expat or the diaspora to send back and support. That's good. Also having some export. That's good. But at the same time, preventing your citizens from sending money abroad. So you never exhaust your reserves of these like foreign currencies that you need 
when doing international trade. So we did like a hack there where I contacted my mother and asked her to send me money. Uh, she sent money to someone in a different city in Morocco. He contacted a friend of his in Dubai and that person sent me money to Mauritius. And the money never left the borders. And if yeah, you know yeah. anything, this sounds a lot <laughs> like... A this reminds me of way was it high drive? No, no, no. no, no. <laughs> Very bold. No, transfer Exactly, yeah. So, That's genius. Yeah. <laughs> Did you know about transfer model back then? No, then I didn't know about them. So I started thinking of maybe building a product around that. Mm -hmm. And I started searching. And uh, when I googled, always transferwise will come up in the first. It was coincidental. At that time, I was just studying them this way. And then uh, uh, I remember I decided to take a gap year. And in my gap year, I said, in the email, I said, I want to gain back my French. Like, I felt that I wasn't speaking in French anymore. And I lost the language that I could speak easily before. I want to, like, rest mentally. But also, I want to find a co-founder. And I want to uh, explore new markets. So most of my connections were either from the United States or the African uh, yeah. continent, because I was involved in these international organizations. But very few were in Europe. I still had, but very few were there. And I wrote that, and at the same time, a friend of mine shared an opportunity at TransferWise. And I felt that was a sign. And I just like, uh, I applied in my application, I mentioned what I've done before, and I was quite transparent with them. And in their acceptance, they actually said, oh, we like your transparency. And, we feel you could add value, and that's how I got the offer I'm making here. That's great, man. That's an amazing story. So how was your experience working at TransferWise? It was amazing. How, like, how different was, like, first of all, Estonia from where were you before? Okay, so, like, Estonia is very, very different. Yeah, like, uh, when I arrived here, I remember on my first, like, three days, yeah, I, I had this person, I came to him, and, like, he was working, and I was like, hi. And he said hi. I said, how are you? He didn't answer. <laughs> and usually when I tell this story, people will think, oh, this is someone you met in the streets. It's a stranger. Like, you should feel lucky. He said hi back. But the reality, it was my flatmate. And <laughs> <So laughs> that happened to me too. Yeah, exactly. So. Oh, I was so yeah. shocked in the beginning. Yeah, yeah. So that, that, that this was like... weird, man. It that, happens. Yeah. That it stops your mind. What? <laughs> <laughs> that was my introduction to the culture. So... Yeah, then I, I figured it was uh, yeah, called culture. So <laughs> when I arrived here, even though I got visa and everything, I still couldn't work in that first month because they had the onboarding phase. I had to wait until the onboarding in May. So I was feeling like uh, lonely, not able to connect with people. My flatmate is not even bothering. You know, like if I had him as my flatmate and I knew he was foreign, I would try to show him you know, yeah. the country and like this thing. So... Uh, I started looking for events and I connected with organizations. So I was like this national director of ISF, which is the largest youth organization. And we have this message, usually when you visit a country, you just say, hey, ISEC, what's up? And then you connect. So I wrote you to You guys the, have like a Facebook group, right? Yeah, yeah. So I wrote to the one here in Estonia. And that actually became my first friend here in Estonia. Yeah. Yeah. So when I started working with TransferWise, you could immediately feel the difference. Because most people there were either internationals or Estonians who have traveled abroad or Estonians who have dealt with internationals in a different capacity. Oh. So the open-mindedness level there was on another level, I'd say. So integrating there. And also, I, 
like I tried to go to any event that was organized by Transferwise or where Transferwise was invited. And this is interesting because in the first event I went there, I met the person who ended up becoming the first investor in Isachan. <laughs> oh. So, yeah, any advice for any future founders? Networking is not Networking. not working as they mentioned. <laughs> it does help. So, <laughs> yeah. That's cool. But that's interesting. Like, you thought about a product like TransferWise. Yep. Yeah. And then you end up working with TransferWise. Yeah. So, the thing is, their African footprint was very small back mm-hmm. then. I think mm-hmm. they were only in Nigeria and Ghana at mm-hmm. that time. So, yeah. And uh, if you know anything also about TransferWise, they are kind of a proponent of this concept of free transfer, free yeah. money. Yeah, and I love this the, product. Yeah, the, the mission is not like uh, it's not just written or said; it's actually believed. So even today, from yeah. the day they have started, yeah. even today, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's that that's interesting. So actually, one of my side projects was exactly studying the culture. So I was interviewing senior workers there and like uh, newbies and try to see and the capture the culture of TransferWise and what changes and I definitely could vouch that the mission is true and we have been true to it. Great. So how is your everyday life over here? It has been interesting. So like uh, I feel that it has been a pause in comparison to what I've been, uh, I've been quite active before. Uh, friends left right here, like uh, if you have a friend you are actually one of the happiest ones, like you're an Estonian, Estonian friend because uh, most of them made their friendships quite early on, as a ch- when they were quite young, and there is very little room for like a new friend. Uh, the biggest thing for me was also safety. So coming from Morocco, which is an African continent, yes, there are some stigmas around the continent, but some of them tend to be also um, relevant in our case. Let's put it that way. And yeah, like I remember when I was in South Africa, I had an incident with like. Someone pointed a gun. When I was in Morocco, I even had my head like uh, I had uh, someone putting a knife in my head. So I, I had like experiences with danger. And here I feel safe. Like the idea that you can walk at two a.m., three a.m., um, like yeah, take his vagabond in what old time? town. Yeah. yeah. So I, I like that. Mm-hmm. I, well, uh, well, I have a question still about uh, like the early working days of uh, TransferWise. Yeah. So, what were the things that you like were excited with the most? So I would say this company is like a startup environment. You know. Yeah, yeah. So Their corporate uh, culture. In a way, so I was blessed that in the organizations I worked with TransferWise, they shared some of those aspects, like. So in the African Leadership University, I was not just a student. I was like, I felt I was part of the founding staff even, and I've been contributing there. And we had like this uh, culture that was in a way similar to Transwise. So for me, it was an easy entry there. We had like these standards. We had this uh, uh, like monthly uh, updates. Mm-hmm. Like it felt like I was still in my niche which was really good I I love that environment uh, I would say that the customer centricity was probably even stronger there like at TransferWise so that's something like everyone will find there like from customer support to the CEO everyone believes in the uh, treating the customer as well mm-hmm. and uh, solving the issues and you take pride in that so I love that and so I this mindset of yeah, people, you know, the mindset. 
so yeah, like most people also were in it for the mission. Like mm -hmm. uh, one of the values that it's not a job, it's like a revolution, and we see people believing that. And when you have, like, uh, for instance, the highlights, I would say one of them was summer days. So in summer days, you have summer days and mission days. Like in the one I were, uh, I attended, it was like both uh, in a way together, like in the same period. Um, that was massive because we were. 800, I think, all in, uh, this, uh, we went to Narva. <laughs> oh man, you went to Narva? <laughs> yeah, we went to Narva. I've seen these stories, yeah. you know, during summer days, it's, a, it's, it's like a huge music festival, you know, it looks like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like props and blues and yeah, everything. Yeah, we, actually we went to this Kin home or Kring, uh, like this factory my, place. My biggest summer days I've been to was uh, 300 people, was it? Yeah, yeah something like that. it was a very, very Oh, wow. <laughs> it was yeah. fun. Yeah. So... It was uh, it was massive. Like I, we played like treasure hunts. So we like yeah. <laughs> it was <laughs> it was uh, very nice. All right. Um, and you also mentioned the networking part. And yep. I personally remember that you were very active in that, going yeah. to uh, different kind of events in Lift Ninety Nine, Palo Alto Club. Yeah. yeah. Um, and. We were fortunate enough to work together in yeah, Garage 48 yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> as uh, volunteers, uh, startups, legendary startup squad volunteer. Exactly, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we were part of it. Um, can you comment about that? <laughs> well, I think it was one of my best actually ways to integrate the community, but also like the experience was so good and uh, of course I thank you for being, because you were actually our manager, just say that to the listeners. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And yeah, we did a very good job in first keeping the motivation quite high and also coordinating. I know like you had 10 or 12 volunteers to manage and like everyone with different schedule and like work. So I really enjoyed that experience. And uh, in a way, I have a lot to thank Garage 48 for. So I remember when I came here, I participated in one of their hackathons. And when I was in the top three, I managed to meet the president of Estonia. I also managed to meet the king of the Netherlands. And a lot of it is actually thanks to Garage 48. And uh, I remember one of the prizes was uh, this kind of direct entry to the top 40 of Prototron. Yeah. And one year later, I still contacted Prototron and I still got in. And <laughs> next thing you know, we actually won the prize. <laughs> so, yeah. And before that, also, we had the education hackathon with the garage 48 yeah. and we won there so I, I yeah, absolutely that, that was yeah. that was the goal of uh, garage 48 to help yes, train, yes. Uh, and startup the, enthusiasts yeah people. and the network so in the ones we were volunteering it was through one of them that uh, we got the contact for martin Willig, the co-founder of Bolt, and he has been quite supportive throughout the journey and this tells you a lot about the Estonian ecosystem and the startup yeah. ecosystem itself. A lot of people don't mind helping you. And when I say don't mind, in the sense that some even see it as part of giving back to the community, in a way, a duty to support mm -hmm. others. And that's very strong here. Like, so when people say it's Silicon Valley of Europe and then others are batching, oh no, it's, you are very far from being Silicon Valley. What they are missing is actually how tight-knit is the community and how Everyone is trying to help each other. We have like this Slack yeah, uh, with yeah. founders. Like it's, it's like a like, family environment. It's yeah. like a, an extended family yeah, environment, yeah, yeah. which Same is time. yeah. Can comment the same.
from startup adventures perspective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and thanks to every partner we got. And I think this is one of the things which adds value to whoever is planning to come to Estonia and do their own startup. Yeah. You know, this is one thing they definitely get for sure. Yeah. Yeah. You don't ask for it, but you will get people who will support you in every way possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So actually, uh, so here, so the way I managed to stay here, which could be also of interest, is I got the startup visa. So after I had like the work visa with TransferWise, when I left, obviously I, now I had either to move back and I decided to build the company here. So applying to the startup visa, before even getting to the police or anything, you have to get vetted by the community. So there is this startup selection committee and it's like formed by like founders of other startups like Pipedrive and you know, other ecosystem players. All these players actually go through your application. I think seven people have to vote. And go so they validate it. your idea from yeah, all yeah, the first, perspectives, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. First, like, does it have the potential to make an impact? Does it have a potential to go? Is it scalable? Is it uh, beneficial uh, to like connect the brand of Estonia with it? Because obviously, if you are yeah. doing something shady, even if it's like the best startup, they wouldn't want it in the ecosystem. So they vet all of these, and then they vote. So you have to get four guesses out of the seven mm-hmm. once you get that you get like an invitation and only after that you start the uh, police and visa process oh, so the main hurdle is yeah get the start, so it's right? kind of you yeah. have a backup from the start of ecosystem yeah. and usually once you get that you are in so the only times we heard of stories where someone got rejected by the police or this is that they have actually something shady going on either mm-hmm. like yeah but that's a good validation point from them yeah yeah police because and the, the process is even simplified in the sense that if you are a startup founder and you have a startup idea and you get vetted, the, the, like you have, sim- uh, for instance, you can even bring people here without passing through the quotas, like to work with you and these things. And you get some facilities just by having that mm-hmm. uh, startup titles. And one of them is accessing the community also. So like you get to the Slack channels and yeah, I emphasize on this community help. Like the, they track everything also. Like there is this like Excel sheets dashboards where you have companies who made exits, who like fundraised, and it's all public, it's all out there. And this fits again in that uh, transparency yeah. in the ecosystem. So Estonia has one of the best transparent business environments. And people also are contributing to it. The reachability is 100%, yeah, 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 right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's mm-hmm. not like, oh, the government decided this. No, but active founders are yeah. putting things there. That's right. And okay. this is one thing I really love, like wherever you are, you don't know how many founders are around you, they're walking around you mm-hmm. and you, you can maybe just go up and talk to them if you think that that'll be a good idea, you know? Exactly, yeah. Yeah. It's happened to me so many times. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you founder. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, let, let's put these things in like kind of, kind of chronological order. Okay. Right? The transfer-wise things, then on the side, you join like uh, Garis Fortier as a volunteer. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and when did your idea, when was it born? So it's exactly a year and uh, a month or a year and two months ago. So I remember in July, August, like mm-hmm. uh, I had the idea because, yeah, I can share more why, but uh, at that stage I just had the idea and uh, I spoke to that person. So maybe I can mention his name, Martin Magar. He's like a tech lead at TransferWise. I met him, as I said, through one of those events and we clicked immediately. I pitched to him what I tried to do. He saw the impact, he saw the potential, like literally then and there, he said, yes, 
I'm in. Let me just do my calculations and see how things will work out. And uh, he has been extremely supportive throughout the journey. And uh, we were still at an idea stage, like idea, idea stage, like just me alone, no team, no anything. And uh, from there, it has been an interesting journey. We pivoted throughout, and the pivot has been since June. And since June now, we have like different direction. It's still the same field. We are still like in the impact of increasing access to quality education. It's just that uh, the product is quite simple and straightforward now. Mm-hmm. Let's put it that way. Simple and straightforward, and what it is? <laughs> Let's say for those. Well, okay, so what we do is. We crowdfund scholarships for African students. So that's the one-liner. What it means is that we select and uh, vet and pool students together from an African descent. So we check their, uh, yeah, we assess them, what's their community centricity element, what's the uh, academic background, even though that's the least actually in this case. What's the outcomes of the program they are going to? We assess their motivation and different other elements. And then once we select them, we check everything that they submitted and these things, and then we pull them together. Once they are pulled together, we know exactly how much we need to fundraise. And then we call like uh, donors to put money to support and impact uh, the life of these students and invest in their education in that sense. Um, then. We figured that we needed a sustainability model with this, so we asked actually students mm-hmm. to pay it forward to at least two more students. Yeah. So when they graduate, they can fund two others, and that's their giving back, but also everyone involved start leaving a legacy. So for the donor, he's leaving a legacy, but making an exponential impact, because after funding one student, after maybe 20 cycles, those become one million students, and that thanks to him managed to access education. And I think if I were in a donor shoes, that's something I would definitely would like to have. <laughs> like, you know, you can die in peace knowing that you made the impact there. No, the idea is definitely really, really cool. Yeah. Well, I liked it from the beginning. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> but how, how did you come up with this idea? Okay, so when I said EduFintech in the sense that it ties back my entire background. So mm-hmm. here there are two aspects to this. One is why and the personal motivation and the one is the professional motivation. So the personal motivation is, it's a bit sad, but I lost my dad when I was seven. So that's around 20 years ago. And uh, he was sick. I couldn't visit him to the hospital, me and my younger sister, because we were deemed too young. And then we were suddenly invited to visit him. So he knew he was passing. And that was like his time to bid us farewell. And his only commandment to me then was to take care of my education. Of course, he mentioned also be like a good boy for your mom or this, but that was like the big topic of yeah, like education. And um, I've been like in the top of my class, like top two, top three throughout, sometimes first, sometimes second, until the end of high school. So at the end of high school, my goal was to study at MIT, or Polytechnic Lausanne. So both of them are like very good engineering schools. Where's the second one okay? Is uh, it's in Switzerland. Ah, yeah. Switzerland. And uh, yeah, Switzerland is a quite expensive country. And uh, MIT, sadly, so I had five siblings. It's only me and my younger sister who couldn't visit him. And of course, 
Uh, my mom being a single parent trying to raise us wasn't easy, especially from a financial perspective. So when it came to the end of high school, I couldn't even afford the application fees. Like, you know, like you have to first pay application fees, but also uh, take the TOEFL, you yeah, need to prepare yeah. for the TOEFL, you need to take the SAT exams and these things. So, yeah, I couldn't afford them. I was a bit uh, demotivated then. And that's how was that was probably the biggest connection I had with financial like, limitations and education. So I was part of the top students, as I said, for most part. Mm -hmm. And I was actually so in the top that in the final year I was asked to join like the most elite school in the country, at least at that time, uh, for the last year of high school. So yeah, like I had geniuses studying with me. I wasn't necessarily one of them, but <laughs> like it was very selective. Like they selected four from my entire high school to go study there. And um, while I was there, this opened my uh, horizon on that. And I could, I could see that I have talent that I can nurture. But when that happened, me not being able to afford even the application fees, it definitely had an impact on me. And I ended up going to the school where not necessarily the best, I would say, education system. It was in Morocco. And... Uh, I was studying actually finance there, it was good, but the teachers were not necessarily what I imagined. So I ended up dropping out. Mm -hmm. And uh, like okay, that was the time when you started that FinTech uh, thing. So yeah, like in a way that came a bit later because, so I dropped out of this school mm -hmm. and at the same time I was now being uh, selected to join the African Leadership University in Mauritius. And that's where ah. I started the, the bank. Yeah. So then you went there, you started the bank. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I have a question. Yeah. Right now that you are here, is anyone operating the bank over there? So I had someone to operate it like for a year. And then I was like, okay, I'm disconnecting completely with this. So I don't know exactly what's happening. I, funny enough, you mentioned this. I had one person reaching out to me directly last year asking for like financial assistance and I just sent it to him like just as me, not necessarily as a uh -huh. that bank. So yeah, like because it was a student led, it was on campus, it's supposed to be run by students. Yeah. Okay. Because yeah. yeah, we didn't have any like license to operate a bank or anything, <laughs> at least at that age. So yeah. That's cool. All right, let's come back to this uh, well yeah. yeah so this was the yeah, yeah. this was this the, was the reason. Yeah, yeah personal connection with this uh, problem space. Now from a professional uh, experience, so when I started the bank, after that I got an internship with uh, Swiss Re, which is the largest reinsurance company in the world, which is again in the finance industry. And uh, while there I knew that I needed to do something in uh, finance that was even beyond the bank, because that bank was more of a pet project, let's put it that way. And uh, at the same time, I was always with other organizations doing education projects on the side. I even started like an education movement at some point where we studied like K-12 and we tried to come up with best practices there. So we studied Japan, Finland and other countries. And we had like a proposal for what, can, what improvement could be done there. But then the movement died out. Um, so I had education on the side and I had finance as a kind of the career path and uh, 
with the Swiss Re experience and with the bank on campus, I was actually recruited to join a fund that was doing income share agreements. So it's like a type of uh, student loans where you invest in the individual and they give you a percentage of their salary when they graduate and start mm-hmm. having a job. So they repay you the entire amount back then? Up, in a way, it's not necessarily the entire amount. You give a percentage of the salary, they invest in you for a, f- a period of time, a okay. few years, and then uh, after those years are done, they might have made more money than they gave you or less money or no money at all. Like, mm-hmm. That's the risk that you take. And I was the third member there. And uh, yeah, it was a very good experience because we were serving the African market, uh, serving undergrad and uh, postgrad. And I had like, yeah, that's where I got a lot of hands-on with this type of uh, uh, student financial assistance. And uh, from that, I wanted to scale that model initially. So we had a fund of more than $8 million then that we gave, but the money were, was raised from uh, institutional investors. Mm-hmm. So I thought we could have a peer-to-peer marketplace for those same income share agreements. And like have any person investing in any other one's education. And also with the thing with that fund, we were tied to the school. So it was tied to the African Leadership University. So we could only fund students from connected to that network. Mm-hmm. So I thought, no, any students in Africa could actually benefit from it. So we started that way. And the reasoning from there is that you have more than 200 million Africans without access to higher education. So you, you need to be able to support all of them. And if you engage the crowd, that would be perfect. What happened with this is that once we started operating with this, obviously you talk from one side investment. So people invest in others and you're raising money from there. So you have to have some sort of a license there or at least some approval there. And then you talk from the fact that students have to repay a percentage of their salary. So is that a loan? What's that status? So we needed uh, clarity on that. We reached out to the financial board of Estonia here, and the answer was not necessarily uh, fully clear. It was more uh, leaning towards maybe you need a credit license. Mm -hmm. And if we went with the credit license, it would have uh, been against our own thesis, because with the credit license, now the students are forced to pay back, whereas with an investment, there is always the risk you won't get back the money. Um, And also... So yeah, you kind of act like a bank then. Yeah, in a way, you become like a lending Exactly. And another thing is that you will be enforcing the contracts because the investors who, who put money expect now the student to pay back since you are now a licensed institution. So if you enforce it, you might find yourself putting the same person you tried to help, you are putting him in jail. So there were a lot of philosophical, like uh, against our themes and so we went back to the whiteboard and asked ourselves like four fundamental questions. Mm-hmm. What do you want to achieve here? Increase access to quality education. Mm-hmm. What's the easiest way to achieve that? Provide scholarships. Everyone gets scholarships. It's easier than student loans and much easier than income share agreements. Yeah. How can we get the funding? Engage the crowd. So here think of donors, think of public institutions, think of corporations who would like to partner with us. And fourth, how can we guarantee the funds never run out? And that's where we said we need to come up with a paid-forward mechanism for the students and we need to keep engaging the crowd. So the paid-forward is that every student will support two more students, at least. Mm -hmm. And they are doing it in a way voluntarily, so meaning that if they get scholarship, they graduate. 
and they get a job, but then they vanish. We want to go behind them and try to put them in jail. Mm -hmm. It's still within their rights. There is no legal obligation for them to actually pay us, uh, to pay it forward, but they have a moral obligation. Now, how do we enforce this moral obligation is that we are planning to provide as much services for these students as they are studying. So like uh, academic support, having like some check-ins every now and then, but more importantly, career development support. Like uh, helping someone write their CV, helping someone get like um, uh, the companies that could hire them, getting someone to prepare for interviews, like the whole career development thing is still missing in the African continent. Like you go to any top university, they might not even have a department called career development. <laughs> That's how bad the situation is there. So, you can't. There's actually a problem in Europe too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Everywhere. It's like, I think it's a problem. universities are so, like, I don't want to say anything bad about the yeah, yeah, it's like, They yeah. are like. Uh, yeah, you pay us, you graduate, yeah, you, yeah, <laughs> you get We gave you the knowledge. You get a paper and that's yeah, yeah. So, for us, we want to be able to support them throughout so that there is that community building aspect whereby when they are not paying it forward, they are now missing out on the benefits of the community. Mm -hmm. So we create this loss aversion mechanism. And also why we decided to go after donors, it was simple because when we were discussing with the investors, we had like three kinds of profiles. One who cares about the enforceability of the contract, he sees it as a revenue potential, they could make good money, people graduate, and da da And then a second one was a bit similar to this, but was very reluctant to make the move. Like they were not, yeah, like, no, I can't trust it. You won't be able to enforce it. Now people will run away at this. And thirdly, was the person who saw it more like a donation until proven otherwise, meaning that they donate, they are not expecting any return, but if they get it, they are extremely happy. And this was like, in a way, that impact investor who's in it for the impact and this. So, incidentally, these guys are acting like a donor. Yeah. And donor profiles are much bigger than an investor profile. Like if you count in the world the number of donors, they are much bigger of the number than investors. And they are much, much bigger than the number of impact investors. So we decided to go after that one. So you're saying that like uh, crowdfunding, in a way, makes way more sense than be relied on like one person. Uh, well, before we were relying on like crowd investors, mm -hmm. now we are going after crowd donors mm -hmm. in a way. Because crowd donors, they are not in it for the return, they are in it for the impact and the fact that that impact multiplies. Can, can everybody be like a crowd donor? Yeah, yeah, like we, we plan to launch, probably by the time this will uh, go live, we would have actually started the campaign. So anyone listening to this audio, if you are interested to donate, please visit uh, isachab. Dot com. Mm -hmm. The way you spell it is I-S-A-C-H-A-M-P. And here we have like a pun with the name. So I'm happy to share it with you. Maybe it will make you <laughs> donate. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. So as I said earlier, we were thinking of these income share agreements. So the idea there was that it's an income share agreement champion. But the pun was that if you donate, and let's say Ucha donated to this campaign, it reads Ucha is a champion. Ah. That's where the name came from. So hopefully become a champion and do donate to us. I would be very grateful to you. Thank you for that. Like, <laughs> so if you want to be a champion, you know where to go. And you know what to do. You know what to do. And in addition, I want to say that 
you can also go on our page because <laughs> we will share all the information and you can become a donor. Ta-da! Fantastic. So you Fantastic. can then leave your legacy and you can see it uh, growing exponentially over yeah. the years. No, it makes it makes like great impact and uh, I would honestly honestly encourage everybody to do it. Also, you know, psychologically, once you donate and once you understand you're the champion, you know, you receive some nice fancy this uh, PDF mm-hmm. certificate. You feel like you did something in your life. You gave back to the society. Yeah. Especially for people who don't, who think, oh, you need to have millions or billions to be a champion or maybe donate or do mm-hmm. something good for the society. Just go here and you're giving someone access to education. That's a big investment, right? That's At the end of the day. Investment. Yeah, yeah. It's great. Exactly. Like, uh, it's, so I have a question. Give a fish to <laughs> teach someone how to fish. Yeah. Exactly. So, uh, for example, if I become the donor, I invest. Do I also get to pick and choose the candidate whom I want to invest in? Or is it you who are going to pick and choose and give me academics like this is how smart the guy is or the girl is, but the only because of the limitation, they are not able to go forward. Yeah. So at this stage, we are like pulling them together and raising the, like an entire fund for them. So okay. you can still check some of the students, especially those who agreed to appear in the campaign. But in a way, we are doing a lot of due diligence and selection process from our side and that's where our value comes in. So it's not like any random person can create a campaign on our platform and start funding. So we are not just another like crowdfunding platform in that sense. No, we do the entire crowdfunding process. Even for this like stage, we didn't even waste our time building a crowdfunding platform. What we are doing is the campaign will go live on a different platform that uh, where people usually donate and has already all the systems there, we are just adding it to our website. And then you just go there and donate and you see some of the students there, their stories, and then uh, yeah, you make an impact. After that, we might have this individual stories element where you could decide exactly where to go. But uh, we feel that it's probably best to keep it as a pool because if you go an individual approach, if that student doesn't have a good iPhone or like a good phone to make a video to campaign or if they don't have a network or they don't, there is a chance that they will be left out. Whereas our selection is selection talented individuals that want to make an impact, that are community centric, that are, yeah, they have, they have so a much drive, drive to Yeah, they have it. so much they can add to the continent and the world in general. So why would they be not lucky to get the funding just because their circumstances. So we pull them together, we raise the funds for the entire pool, so we are all in, we are all in it together. That's the community aspect. And it's starting from early, early on. So it's not like one year, two years, or when he's about to graduate, say, oh, by the way, we have a community, can you pay it forward? Yeah, <laughs> yeah like we try to put it already from the beginning. That's great. Nice. But I remember, I remember a time yeah. <laughs> when, uh, um, well, Estonia, for the listeners, Estonia is a small country, we run into each other yeah, a lot, yeah. uh, not only with Buya, but with many other founders. And I remember uh, a time when you wanted to turn this idea into an NGO, but finally oh. you are now, now you're a company. Wow, you had to bring that up. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yes, that actually was a point. So what was, what was like the reason or why did you or did you not? Yeah, so obviously it? when we uh, made this pivot, so as I said, the pivot has been from June. And uh, 
from June we started a new Facebook page and yeah very quickly we got now 5,000 likes on that page people are quite supportive um, in it's mostly uh, African community mostly from African descent mm -hmm. yeah we have also some Estonians there but uh, uh, we also started the application process for people to apply we started it around two or three weeks ago and it will end in three days and uh, already we have more than two million dollars in demand for the scholarships just to know how bad the situation is so when i say 200 million africans can't access education like finance is a big uh, part of it and we haven't even done much promotion for like the application only the page and this and we are planning to do a bit more later so we were seeing this as like a way that could make a full lasting impact and we wanted to become an NGO so that donors can donate and trust that it's an NGO that there is like uh, yeah like that was the reasoning that we are raising money from donors uh, money goes to the students let's become an NGO and uh, this discussion was more internal and uh, from my side I had like a different view to it so again we have three different like fundamentals that allowed us to stay for profit and we hope we stay for profit obviously my experience has been also in the civic society so i know the struggles of ngos and i know how they are run and i know like the perception of an ngo in general but the three ideas was that first we want to be able to keep the incentives for the employees because uh, you know that with a startup you can give stock options you can pay good salaries whereas with ngos a lot of people will uh, try to get a professional job in a like company that will give them all these incentives then join an NGO so a lot of people see an NGO in a way where you are volunteering you can make any so we don't want to have any compromises on that we want to be able to bring the best talent that we can get in our team with no compromises yeah that was makes a lot of sense yeah the second part was that when you are an NGO you you have a mandate that you put where money needs to be spent only in that mandate so for us the money that we raise for students goes to the students but money that we can raise differently or like money that we got from different revenue streams if we want to have a start where we go and spend money in the public and like uh, maybe have a festival to raise money for these uh, students and these things we don't have that public uh, uh, let's say uh, perception of overhead that comes with an NGO that will block us from doing such a thing because if you are an NGO and you did something a bit outside of your mandate that will still help you uh, you could have problems people say oh this is not what you told us you would do and these things whereas a company you are still private you can still like do strategic events if I want to do like a summer dates for my team and go and spend on sure, them yeah. and motivate them I can do it whereas as an NGO if you do that Oh, this is so much overhead. You are spending so much, and these things. Yeah. And the you third think one, about COVID culture. Yeah. So the, the like even cancel culture these days that they would like <laughs> to cancel us. Also. And the third one is this uh, uh, being able to raise also raise risk capital. Yes, us being able to raise money from donors that's perfect. But being able to raise money from uh, people who give us loans or like uh, investors who invest in the company and these things. That's also a big opportunity to raise funds. And we don't want to be missing on that. Like you rarely hear of any NGO that took 
a loan from a bank, for instance, to run its operations or something like that. Whereas we can still run, raise money from risk capital and make an impact with it. So these were like three fundamentals why we decided to say stay for profit. And maybe the fourth one is obvious is like as a founder, I spent a lot of my time in this and I see this as like my life mission that connects all the dots. Like I mentioned earlier, the Eddie Fintech and like everything's coming together in this, my personal story and everything is, I'm betting everything on this. So I still want to be motivated throughout the journey. Sure. I don't want at some point to have like to leave because another company gave me a better salary and better stock options and I'm tired or something like that. Whereas if I have enough motivation, I can make it work. So this is one of the reasons why we had for profit. Of course, sometimes we have investors that would reach out to us and then once we tell them about the pivot or these things that oh this sounds like an NGO or I smile <laughs> thank you for bringing it up <laughs> let me tell you a story now <laughs> yeah yeah so yeah we are looking for people who can see potential there and actually from a revenue stream perspective we have so many revenue ideas there so like the fact that we are selecting these hyper-talented or talented individuals means companies might want to hire them. Mm -hmm. So they can have access, a direct access to this pool of talented Africans who have been proven and then they hire them. So that's like they could pay us for that. We could even have like financial products of, on top of that because most of these will come from underprivileged background. That's why they need the scholarship in the first place. And they are talented. So banking them or giving them financial services on top that could uh, that's also the financial inclusion that i started with i mentioned earlier so we could be able to provide such services and yeah uh, like number of unbanked people in the continent is huge so grabbing even a little little piece of that could make an impact and especially if this uh, piece is created one that has the talent I mentioned earlier that has the same community values so we are not really worried about the revenue streams at this stage we are just worried about raising the funds for the students exactly. and money will come we have people who trust us who will be ready also to bet on us and that's what I'm looking for also in investors who are in it for the longer term maybe I can share with you the first student we funded because in oh, you already have a student? Yeah, we already funded one student. And That's <laughs> interesting math. Yeah, 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 yeah. What is it about? Like, so where's the student from? He's from Nigeria, and his story is even like, it literally solidifies why we need this and why this matters. So he's from Nigeria, he's an Oprah Winfrey scholar. So Oprah Winfrey select, like, it's one of the most sought after scholarships in uh, Africa, and they are very selective. And you can't usually get it that easily. And he still got that scholarship. And he went to the United States and he was studying there. And now he was being kicked out of the school because of $1,500. Wow. So imagine to have all this talent. Americans are crazy. <laughs> so by the time he applied to us and by the time we decided to fund him, he was already closed from uh, the school. And when the funds reached, obviously he went back. He was able to take exams because what they do is that you can't take the exams but you can still attend the class until they kick you out fully. So he was not yet kicked out fully. And um, next thing you know is in the summer, he got an internship with Facebook. Wow. So imagine if he didn't get that funding, he wouldn't have had, and this is someone from Nigeria in the United States where coronavirus is going and he still had an internship with Facebook. 
So he's talent is on another level, right? Yes, that's great. That's great. <laughs> now, now we see the impact. Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> let me let me make it even more interesting. I thought this was the other way, but actually, no. The school noticed his academic uh, achievement. Noticed how he was doing good with the students on campus. He was doing some community work there. He even created a WhatsApp group where 20 Nigerians from that group managed to get scholarships for the States for this year. And notice, of course, his internship with Facebook and decided to award him a full scholarship for this upcoming year. Wow. It's great. And Amazing. Let me, uh, let me spice it up a bit more. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he, we wanted to feature his story and in the middle of the interview, he says, hey, can we talk about payment? I, I feel I'm already in a better place. And he made his first payment to us to support more students. That's so, so he became a donor. Yeah, he became a donor. So wow. that's like the whole story of uh, the paid forward mechanism. So, yeah, now we want to scale this. Of course, it, uh, yeah. No, it's amazing. I'm speechless. <laughs> <laughs> you have any questions? I mean, no, like, I'm still stunned, like, how things help them. I, I mean, this is really the thing right it solidified what you meant for this business right what why were you in the first place why did you yeah, think i of can this? imagine what you as a founder was mm -hmm. like uh, feeling when you saw this i think that outcome. that thing is the reason why you're super motivated today because it works yeah, yeah. it works what yeah, kind of validation yeah. Yeah. yeah like seriously Critical. like uh, that's one of the reasons that makes me of course like i remember in 2017 or 18, I had this like uh, uh, New Year's resolution, and one of my New Year's resolution was to make an impact on one person's life. And you did it. And literally, I felt fulfilled when <laughs> this happened. Like before, like, <laughs> and before 2020 ends. Actually, here's the thing: I never updated my resolution until that one happens. I like so now I can say, okay, now I can have a new. Just keep it no, in mind. If I can start okay, that's the resolution. <laughs> You can start 2021 on a new page. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. Uh, that's cool. Nice. Okay, let's kind of go back to your, like, yeah. well, not like personal life, but uh, your uh, Estonian life as a foreigner. Mm -hmm. um, it was very interesting to hear about your project, but I uh, want to hear your opinions about, you know, <laughs> this country. So what are the things that you love about Estonia and what's the thing that you hate? Okay, so like the few obvious ones that I mentioned earlier was like, uh, I love the people minding their business, I love the uh, safety. So this I mentioned earlier. Then specifically about the ecosystem, I said I love the, the uh, yeah, everyone coming together and helping other founders. Maybe in a bit more details, I would say that um, I love how this culture still managed to be modern and traditional at the same time. Mm -hmm. In the sense that people here still care about their grandmothers, uh, their family members, they will go hike with them, they will go connect with the nature. And like someone who has been around, like I'd say this is quite peculiar and quite specific to like maybe this region, if not only Estonia. Because yeah, like uh, the way Western families have been brought up is that you are individual, 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 even your brother you might not connect with. And yeah, your grandmother, who is that? I see her maybe on Christmas and that's it. Whereas here I have friends who tell me 
every two weeks, three weeks, they meet with their yeah, family members. So yeah. that's one aspect. The other one, again, like people here care about their uh, uh, health and well-being. And uh, you see that through like active sports, yes, through yeah. like uh, nature, and yeah, like some even have. Yeah, for me, it was amazing. We don't really have this thing in Georgia <laughs> because you know, like uh, people in Georgia care a lot about their health, but not that about their mental health. So you see people that are working like twenty four hours every day, mm -hmm. things like that. And here. Estonian government doesn't give you right to do that. No, you should take a rest. You should, you know. So yeah, that that's the thing I wanted to come. But yeah. what's the thing that you hate? <laughs> you want to, you want to give me trouble? And we are no. not going to trim this, all right? Yeah, this stays the way you say. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, the big one is that uh, it's sad that uh, let's say. People sometimes are as cold as the weather is. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's the best way to summarize. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In a way that, uh, yeah, like uh, in Morocco, if I meet a friend of mine that I haven't seen in a while, I'll stop. I'll say hi. I'll catch up with him. I don't know what he has been up to. I don't know what he's in his life and these things. And then I would feel, oh, I connected with this friend, even though I haven't seen him in a while. And then I would move. Here in Estonia, you might see someone you haven't met in two years. And they're like, chop, hi. And, <laughs> and every one of you continue their journey. So that was one. The other one was this like unintended rudeness. Like some people would just say, it, oh, it's just coldness. It's not really rude. But actually, it's rude for some cultures, especially ones like in ours where you have society norms where, like, if I end this conversation with you, I have to say goodbye and take care of yourself. And then I would move. Whereas here, I remember in my first networking event, I was talking with this one person and he literally just walked away. And I thought that he went to grab you know, a snack and comes back and that conversation, I never saw him after that. <laughs> <laughs> so like uh, the way it ends, the conversation ends, it just goes yeah, yeah. and go. Yeah. yeah so greetings and like uh, goodbyes are quite a bit uh, cold. And, uh, this is something I both like and hate at the same time, which is the honesty. And uh, so a lot of people like uh, confuse sometimes with tact, being tactful and like honest with being dishonest. No, you could be tactful and honest at the same time. You don't have to tell it as it is all the time in your face, bam, I don't care <laughs> how you feel, but I have to say this because I'm an honest country and I love <laughs> No, good, be honest, but phrase it in a way that uh, don't even like literally sugar sweet it or anything, just say it in a way that doesn't hurt <laughs> and then uh, be my guest with your honesty. So um, Sometimes I find myself someone say, hey, uh, can I be honest with you? And I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and that's me being honest with you. <laughs> because I know when it is time to come. Honestly, essentially. no, I don't want yeah. to be honest. And uh, yeah, but luckily I didn't have also so much of this. Because, uh, yeah, like, uh, uh, I was in a way, like one time in a, like uh, this gathering, and we went to this uh, place, and one person was like uh, having... Bit too much of uh, drinks, let's put it that way. And then 
I don't know what led to the other, and someone just mentioned the Soviet Union, and of course it's still a sensitive topic, and I understand that, but the guy just bashed the entire evening for everyone because he got triggered, and for him, he had to be honest and say all what he had gone through and like why it's bad and these things, and I understand, and I know there is a pain, but I didn't expect it to be coming that way and out of the blue. So I didn't need that, I actually ended up leaving because I knew the others were not feeling well and I wasn't even the person directed with this, I just felt bad. So this is like one of the those when you break the mind. Yeah, yeah. So I feel like uh, it has been uh, quite a good experience navigating these uh, cultural differences and still being friendly and having or even friendful <laughs> listens because uh, it develops into some uh, like one of my best friends uh, some of my expats can't get along with him just because he talks things as they come to his mind and it could hurt but for me I just got to use to his honesty and I learned to appreciate it even more and he's like actually one of my best friends here so it depends on how you navigate it, yeah. but it shocks you a bit more when you are still new here. Like after that, you just say, "Oh, I'd rather have someone honest than uh, someone skinny." But at the same time, I'd rather have someone who wouldn't hurt me, <laughs> even if they are <laughs> honest. So yeah, that's probably the biggest uh, problem. Another one is uh, uh, I've been here, as I said, two years and some, and language I still. Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, language is hard. Yeah, so. Well, I've been here five years and still. <laughs> yeah, so don't say that out loud. Because yeah. <laughs> you, it's even worse. <laughs> you, you are at that stage where someone might shout out of honesty, shame on you. <laughs> I haven't reached that yet. But like, um, but yeah. hardly I'm just taking language classes. <laughs> yeah, A1. Yeah, well, I'm thinking maybe I'll start just like out of also respect, I would say. Yeah, yeah. Please. Like because I have so much um, respect already for the country, but I feel that it will make your life much easier to integrate if you could speak with them in the language, especially. It feels go, different, dude. I, I tell you, like yeah, once like, I started this yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. language class after four four lectures, I really wanted to speak in a student language with someone. Yeah, you like, know, I start. Uh, I stopped saying thank you and I started saying Aita. <laughs> Yeah. You know, even that little bit of change when yeah, you see yeah, their yeah. smile and when you see they are so comfortable now just by that one word yeah, that you yeah, speak, yeah. dude, that's completely different. Actually, you you can go and like attend the Yalifa and like exactly. they invite you to their family or their friends and they are doing all their activities, but you are the only English, <laughs> and then they Hello? have to switch to English for you. And, uh, How are you doing? <laughs> or actually, let's put I've you are the only non-Estonian. I had that situations in some other countries. Ah, yeah, yeah, where yeah. I had to speak with my hands, oh, with wow. the parents of my yeah, friends yeah, yeah, that yeah. I visited. Yeah, so actually I made the mistake. It's probably the only non-Estonian speaking person there. So you shift the entire group to speak a language that some are comfortable, some are not comfortable speaking it, just so you feel welcome. So yeah, like I would say this is not on the country, this is more on me. Mm -hmm. Not doing enough job there, but hopefully in the future. It will all be better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've been saying this for two years. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yeah. But great, man. Great. Yes. Yeah. Wait, wait. Let's uh, wrap it up and ask our final question that we ask to everybody. Um, 
you as a well young entrepreneur but still experienced from uh, mm -hmm. back in Africa when you started yeah. this, until uh, today yeah, yeah. Uh, doing many different initiatives you had your ideas mm -hmm. um, and you know you were always active this and that mm -hmm. so we can well call you as entrepreneur mm -hmm. what would be your advice to the up-and-coming entrepreneurs who have their ideas that are perhaps shy or don't know where to start or how to do it um, yeah so probably if someone is in that situation it's not suitable to become an entrepreneur <laughs> because I think that the right time comes when you are like shy and afraid and all and despite all of that and in spite of all of it you still decide to take the step so you need to have at least that certain grit that will make you make the take the leap even though everything was against it so for instance me coming to transferwise my work with swiss Re, which was supposed to even be extended after and these things like because we had like uh, they were my sponsor so even though I got a full scholarship from the university, the Swiss Re came and took over that sponsorship. So I was still actually uh, going to work with them. My salary there was probably double or triple what I was getting at TransferWise. And I still went and downgraded my lifestyle because I saw that I would be learning. I saw that it's a strategic move for myself. And uh, I saw that uh, it's like probably the best decision to take there. Mm -hmm. Everyone around me was saying, what are you doing? What the hell? What's going on? Even when I dropped out from the first university, everyone again was like, what the hell? Actually, I dropped out and I was studying in a different city in Morocco. I couldn't go back home to not have to confront my mom and give her so much trouble. So I stayed the entire year there. She knew that I dropped out or let's say she figured out that I dropped out because she would ask me about the exams and I don't want to lie to her. So I'll divert the conversation not to say that. Yeah. <laughs> so I wasn't <laughs> taking the exams. So she kind of figured it out and I got lucky, got full scholarship in another university. But I knew something was coming. I felt it inside. So I think you need to have enough gut feel to make that leap. And once you take it, always listen to that gut feel. Because there will become times where you are dealing with this person and you are not so sure if he's the right teammate or he's not sure like a good business partner or he's not sure and this and that. If you have that, listen to that. It's probably right. And if it's wrong, you don't need to know. <laughs> it's like seriously. And um, that's probably something that you will learn after having so much, uh, uh, let's say, uh, marathon where you sprint within the marathon. So like every time you lose some sprints, you win some sprints, but the marathon is still going on anyways. Like for us, pivoting was a big blow for me. Like uh, I thought that the first product was working and these things and we had some validation but then the moment the cracks started appearing the moment we decided to pivot that was a big blow i remember i said the pivot started in june but may i spent it like the most depressed person in the world almost and it was covid and all but i still had now the energy and still so you need to have that grit and it should be as innate as possible now for the person who's already almost ready to take that leap or is about to do. I would say there are two things. One is uh, getting involved in the ecosystem. So uh, if you are building something related to e-commerce, go meet people from e-commerce, ask questions. You are doing something related to delivery, meet people who do deliveries, ask questions and don't shy away from that. 
uh, and so on. Like uh, this is some of it is networking, but some of it is just like getting a free training. Like uh, in a way, TransferWise was a free school where, where I was being paid to learn more about startups. The products I worked on before also similar because I worked on other projects before, like uh, consulted other companies, and so like all of these are getting you somewhere. And if you are paid for them, great. If you are not paid for them, they could be like uh, the genesis of something. Yeah, it's still a learning tool. So yeah, exactly. exactly. So volunteering is one of the ways. So, and especially for that shy one, when you are volunteering, you have to speak to people. It develops into that like pitching element. It develops into exactly. so many things. So, this is the advice for all the international, the expat students yeah, who yeah, comes yeah. to Estonia. Don't feel shy about volunteering, right? Yeah. It's not always about money getting paid, but it's about the experience and yeah, the skills yeah. that you... Yeah. And the integration. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. In Estonia, we have such a good ecosystem. We have to promote yeah. our partners yeah. here, ESN and yeah, yeah, <laughs> all the others. And this is <laughs> definitely helpful for you. And the second one is like, uh, if they can remove the financial burden from the equation. So in a way, if in hindsight, if I could have kept my work somewhere or like I worked somewhere and then I MVP'd and I did all those early stages steps of a startup before taking the full leap. It could have made some of or some parts of my life easier, especially during the times where things got really difficult, but I had no funds mm-hmm. to run I literally, I remember at least two or three times this year having zero or one Uh, euros in my bank account. I'm like, okay, I'm screwed. <laughs> Where is the money gonna come from? It's like, and that's like start now taking a lot of your focus instead of putting all of it in the company. So at least have some savings if you could. Uh, if not, as I said, there are those moments where you take the leap and you just take whatever comes with it. So I took the leap. I don't regret it. Everything that comes with it is part of the story. Yeah. Uh, but just to ease that way, maybe be part time. Before uh, quitting yeah. completely, have a something income. like that. Oh, at least have some savings. And then uh, the only case where I recommend not doing this is that if whatever you thought of doing or you are thinking of doing is eating you so badly, and that again connects with that person who's hyper motivated. If you can't sit, like if I'm gonna sleep, I spend three four hours before I can sleep just because I'm thinking about this. If 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 then that's the time to quit and just jump and do it and whatever happens, happens. Like Things will come your way and if you are strategic about what you do and like as I said, you are out there trying to connect, people will try to help you. I remember going to the United States and there was this one person, I just went, I connected myself, he was like, I want to help you. He was the most assertive person saying, I want to help you And looking in my eyes, he's like, I want to help. And then we met after that, and now he's like uh, our advisor, mentor in this. And he has been extremely helpful. So, yeah, don't do it in silence, because this is something I also wrote about. Mental health for founders is very important. Very important, yeah. And if you don't uh, take care of yourself mentally and don't allow others to contribute to that uh, like hygiene, You will be in serious problems because you alone with your thoughts, come on, <laughs> like they will eat you alive. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and even when you are dying, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> you. so have have that support, have uh, 
that don't shy away from asking for help. Uh, yeah, that would be my advice. I know it's a bit loaded, but I hope it covered the. Yeah, of course, man. It of was course, super interesting. Yeah. Uh, it was very interesting and insightful. And yeah, <laughs> helpful advice for a lot many, lot many people. Yeah. yeah. Uh, thank you very much for coming, being our guest. Thank you very much for listening. Follow us on every social media platform and see you next time. Just before I go, surprise! <laughs> yeah, I just want to say thank you to oh. both of you, by oh. the way, for the invite. So, not only that, I've been following your journey from the beginning. I remember when you visited me at my yes. place at some point. Yes, so and when we started Startup <laughs> Adventures, um, yeah. I was trying to get a And that's the first time I, I met you at your place. Yeah. 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 So, yeah, I knew Buya from Garage 48. We did that in 2018. Yeah, yeah. And then after that, well, actually, Funny story. <laughs> um, so that that team, Garage 48 pivoted. They did some different things. So we, as a team, didn't exist in already in February. But we still. But we still team. managed to meet up every now and then, all yeah. the time, um, for the whole season. Yeah. Exactly. So that's how we kept the contact, and then everybody was really supportive. So he was one of the persons that I approached after coming up with Startup Adventures with my fellow Harvick. And yeah, so I just need to shout out that you guys have been very hard working on this and like seriously how very quickly, very fast you reach these results and like the audience you built, this is like phenomenal. Like I salute you for your grit and that's what you need to give to the other founders and I hope they learn from your experience in building your own Startup that talks about startups. Like that's, yeah. like, that's, that's, like, that's like the mind that deep. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But that's great. Thanks, man. Thanks, Thanks. for the Thank advice. You so much. Thank you. Have a nice day and good luck editing this. Cheers. <laughs> Bye. Thanks for listening. Follow us on your favorite social media and check out the next episode. Ta-da!